Welcome into this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. <laughs> I'm your host and editor, Carrie Crowley. Chris just got back from Washington where the Sun Devils fell 44-18 to against the sixth-ranked Huskies. They'll find out if they're moving up in the college football playoff poll. One team that certainly won't be in the college football playoff poll this week, Arizona State which lost its fifth straight game, first time in the Todd Graham era that the Sun Devils have lost five in a row and will set the stage for the Territorial Cup momentarily. But just quickly, what went wrong for ASU up in Washington? What's their injury situation look like right now? Uh, Once again, game started off looking like ASU maybe had a chance, Um, same as against Utah, and then quickly reality settled in. Uh, on the Sun Devils, uh, the, no ability to run the ball, no early down success. Uh, quarterback protection wasn't good. Manny Wilkins was, again, showing a tendency to hold the football too long, take sacks, um, miss some opportunities. Defensively for ASU, you had the big play breakdowns, uh, several. Uh, it was a 45-yard touchdown run that was uh, – where no defender had got a touch. There was a 75-yard play. No defender got a touch. Um, so you can't miss a tackle when you don't even get your hands on the ball carrier. Uh, ASU did keep John Ross in front of it defensively, but he had a career-high 12 catches. Uh, ASU wasn't able to capitalize on its turnovers. Uh, and take adva- and then ASU had two turnovers of its own. Um Bright spots, of course. Nikhil Harry had another phenomenal performance. Six catches over 100 yards. J.J. Wilson playing in place of Cody Cole, which I'm sure a lot of fans were probably happy to see that. Moving on to the next crop of players. He had a really amazing catch in the end zone that Manny Wilkins just kind of threw up for grabs. Then he had another great catch in the end zone for another uh, touchdown. Uh, I think he had just two catches in there, both touchdowns uh, uh, in the game. Uh, ultimately, ASU was was um, overmatched. I mean, just uh, not nearly as good of a football team as Washington. And so the game kind of just went went to expectations. And then they had a couple injuries, as you mentioned there. Fred Gamage was knocked out. Um, the fact that he's even playing a lot to begin with is a sign of ASU's already significant pro- injury problems. Yeah, Jalen Harvey didn't play in the game. Cam Smith didn't play in the game. Uh, then you had uh, Deshavon Hayes get hurt, and he left the game. It looks like Hayes and Gamage might be able to play this week against Arizona, but we're something that's just going to have to be monitored. Um, and then there were you know a number of other injuries. Of course, Jalen Bates gets hurt even before the game started, which was sort of a... Uh, emblem of how the season's gone for ASU um, but um, time to move on to the Territorial Cup this is a big game for the program because they need to, to get a win to get that those uh, crucial bowl practices 2014 was the last time these two teams met in Tucson and the Pac-12 South was on the line in that game Arizona ended up locking up the South won the division title that year a year after ASU went eight and one in conference play things change fast Kerry exactly so now we're looking at a game that will be played on seven thirty at seven thirty on Friday night that is sometimes capable of garnering a national audience and this time it will just be the diehards following ASU yeah. and U of A 
big picture, ASU fighting for bowl eligibility. Uh, hope to make a bowl for the fifth straight season under Todd Graham. The Sun Devils haven't missed a bowl since 2010, which was the third straight year they'd missed one under Dennis Erickson, and that's getting remarkably hard to do to miss a bowl uh, when you're a Power 5 conference team. For Why you is that? Because what? what because how many make it? Over 64% of teams at the FBS level now make it. 82 out of 128 teams make a bowl. Even some 5-7 and seven teams will go to a bowl this year. ASU not likely to be among those teams, even if they did lose to Arizona. For the Wildcats, as we said, this is their bowl game. They have not gone winless in conference play since 1957, and they were in the Border Athletic Conference, something something of that nature. But it's been quite a long time for Arizona. You don't remember that? I, for me, no. And I, I don't think you do either. I don't even go back that far. <laughs> so, Not nearly. ASU has won three of four Territorial Cups under Todd Graham against Rich Rodriguez, but that one loss was 2014 down in Tucson when ASU was banged up. U of A won the South that year. But like you said, time moves quickly, and these programs have uh, – undergone some rapid changes. U of A has not won this season since September 17th when the Wildcats defeated Hawaii. Their only other win this season over Grambling State in a comeback win. So it's been a tough season for Arizona. That's an understatement. This is a, a historically bad football team. Uh, the Maybe the worst football team that we've seen uh, in the league going back to Washington State. Um some years ago. Uh, I want to say 2012 Washington State was really bad. That transitional year that they had, yeah, um, yeah it was awful. That just getting thrown around like rag dolls at the point of attack on both sides of the ball. But Arizona is, I mean, when you like some of the stuff that you're seeing Rich Rodriguez do and say and talk about on the sidelines, it, it makes you almost wonder if the guy, you know, is is – almost losing his sanity <laughs> to some degree i mean hard not to when you haven't won in over two months it's bad i mean he he's going off on these long tangents and 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 things but no it's it's they've had a lot of injuries but but also they've put themselves into some some of these situations because of their style of play which is a, a in my opinion it's a reckless approach to football in in this day and age where it's uh run spread a lot of um, RPO, but the RPO is off of quarterback uh, intentional um, bootlegs and and rollouts and all these things, and and they've just been so susceptible to injuries. Uh, a new Solomon at this point, you know, he he's probably got the wear and tear of a typical thirty-year-old football player, just what he's gone through, and um, defensively, Arizona is really pretty much an abomination uh so they they don't have much going for them which is what you would expect for an 0 and 8 team they just got blown out by oregon state which is the next worst team in the pac-12 carry yeah let's talk about that u of a quarterback situation right now a new solomon was out for most of the season returned last week to start against Oregon State, but had to leave the game with a knee injury. I believe it was even the first quarter that he had to leave. I know he didn't make it to halftime. So he was replaced by Brandon Dawkins, who is a run-first quarterback. Todd Graham said on Monday at his press conference that Dawkins is like a running back playing quarterback, and he can explode for a big play at just about any point when he's carrying the ball. But he's also been banged up at times 
this season. Just like ASU was forced to burn the redshirt of Dylan Sterling Cole this year when it got down on its quarterback depth due to injury, the Wildcats were forced to burn the redshirt of Khalil Tate. He's also played quarterback this year. And then tight end Matt Morin has been forced to take a few snaps as well. So the quarterback depth chart on both of these teams looks uh, relatively similar in terms of the injuries. However, you'd look at the two teams and say that ASU probably has a little more talent at the quarterback position overall. Nevertheless, if U of A goes with Brandon Dawkins this week, what does he bring to the table that will present challenges for ASU? Well, let's look back last year. Uh, ASU beat Arizona 52-37. That game, of course, was in Tempe. And uh, Brandon Dawkins was the primary quarterback in that game for Arizona. He had 305 passing yards on 30 attempts, two touchdowns, two interceptions. But he also ran for 78 yards, and that's even with taking eight sacks. So he actually had 121 yards gain, but the sacks... Uh, move that back quite a bit and he is very much as you said like a running back in the backfield and the way that they use him but he also has a big arm um, not very accurate uh, consistently of course the way that they use him as I was saying is a lot of throws on the run so that's going to lower your uh, completion percentage by just by doing that Uh, and Arizona does have the the worst completion percentage among um, the Pac-12 teams as quarterback position. But he had a big game against ASU. At least statistically, he accounted for nearly 400 yards from scrimmage. Arizona scored 37 points. He threw two touchdowns, ran for another touchdown. And so ASU is going to have to uh, do a good job of accounting for him while also trying to uh, not give up these uh, big play breakdowns in, in the passing game. And, and that's a challenge because that's not the type of team that ASU has gone against. Now, Rich Rodriguez's offense, it's a spread team, but it, it's really a run-based scheme. And the Wildcats have been hurt this season because running back Nick Wilson and running back J.J. Taylor, who was a freshman who was performing well early in the season, have both gone down. So they've been forced to bring in wide, wide receiver Samaji Grant to play at tailback. And Todd Graham was complimentary of him on Monday at his press conference. But Grant isn't the same type of runner as either Wilson or Taylor, and he doesn't bring that dynamic element to the backfield. Yeah, Nick Wilson is a good player. 2014, he torched ASU. Yes, he's done well against ASU and a lot of other teams, really. And Samaji Grant is a good athlete, but definitely not a true running back. And um, and so that's really affected their just their overall ability to run the football. And of course, ASU is a, a, a as a defense philosophically trying to, to make teams be more one dimensional uh, by taking away the run. So. Uh, you know how they're able to execute in that regard is going to be uh, one of the key elements of this game. Now, looking at the U of A wide receivers, the two players who probably get the ball most or accounting for the most yards for the Wildcats on uh, on the outside are Nate Phillips and Shun Brown, who are smaller scat back type of players, uh, really slot receivers if you put them in a more traditional offense, and they don't have that size, the strength to break away, but. The Wildcats do do a good job of getting the ball to those players in creative ways to to get them the ball in space. Yeah, they're both very quick, uh, agile. They're able to gain separation underneath. 
they're not as likely to beat you vertically down the field. They're not speed guys. They don't have the size. They're not going to make contested grabs. Um, so it, it's really what you have to look out for is when they're running on the same line as the quarterback and they're going to try to stress you by getting uh, defenders that are caught in between that then uh, they commit to the quarterback against the run, then he's going to throw the football. If they hang back, then they're going to usually run. So ASU is going to have to do, do a good job of getting multiple defenders out onto the perimeter uh, and, and especially into the alley on the wide side of the field in order to be able to mitigate that run pass threat on some of these uh, stretch conflict situations. And uh, Nate Phillips has done well against ASU in the past, a local product out of Basha High School. Uh, and and uh, Shun Brown uh, had a couple big plays against Oregon. He is, of the two, the more likely guy for them to target down the field, mm-hmm. has a little bit more speed. But still, that it, usually that's only going to happen when other teams have breakdowns that enable it. For ASU, it's probably one of the more manageable matchups on the perimeter this week than it has seen in recent weeks, especially coming off of a Washington team when they had to defend both uh, John Brown and Pettis. And now ASU gets Trey Griffey and Cam Denson on the outside. Griffey's a guy who U of A will throw the, the home run ball to, but no player on this Wildcats team has more than 31 receptions this season. So for players like Kareem Moore, Maurice Chandler, and Gumpays, it's a, a bit of a step down in competition. Yeah, Trey Griffey, Cam Denson, who's bounced between being a defensive back and a receiver. Um, you just don't see anything that's really dynamic about those about those guys. Uh, relative to the the, the the peer peers in the in the conference, and so as a result of that, you look at as you would expect. You look at the pass offense in Arizona's below 200 yards a game, um, one of the least explosive teams. In addition to being the team that has the lowest completion percentage, so their 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 injuries at at um, running back and quarterback have been very crippling to their overall offensive approach and their ability to execute. And and so this is a game that probably sets up relatively well for ASU uh, compared to others that they've played recently or really throughout the season. And now it's a matter of whether or not they're going to be able to execute in a way that allows them to take advantage of that. Now, before we flip things over to the defensive side of the ball for the Wildcats and talk about the ways ASU could exploit Arizona on that side of the ball, I want to bring up to uh, your attention our Sun Devil Source premium podcast report, which will be out later this week. We'll have a very in-depth breakdown of this ASU-U of A game. We'll go specific on personnel, talk about where ASU can uh, exploit matchups, can talk about what one-on-one opportunities ASU will have, what we expect to see from ASU, where ASU might be limited if the Sun Devils do have injuries that affect them, and just a lot of a lot more comprehensive breakdown of this Territorial Cup matchup that clearly holds a lot of value for both programs this season, despite the lackluster play of both teams. Yeah, um, you know we're still going to do our due diligence, and I've been studying Arizona quite a bit over the last uh, day and a half or so, and there's some some strong tendencies and, and that I think that we can be able to to articulate a little bit things to look for uh, that provide a, a, a finer level of detail on some of this stuff. 
So now we will flip things over to the defensive side of the ball for the Wildcats. And in the offseason, Rich Rodriguez brought in a new defensive coordinator from Boise State. It's Marcel Yates. And the Wildcats have been aggressive on the defensive side of the ball this season. They've tended to play as many of five, as five players at the line of scrimmage. And remember, this is uh, a variant from his normal 3-3-5 defensive look. Um, and Rodriguez is blitz five, blitz six, often played with just one or two down linemen because U of A is undersized up front compared to just about every team in the Pac-12. And as a result, you're seeing a lot of the things the Wildcats are doing defensively are some of the things that ASU did last season when you would play cover zero and blitz six or blitz five and uh, try and get in man coverage down the field and keep a safety high and see what you could do to generate turnovers. But the Wildcats aren't doing that. People know that Rich Rodriguez and Ty Graham were coached together on the same staff and, and they've their history is kind of well documented and um, their their defenses have been two of the more similar defensive styles in the league um, just like ASU Arizona plays boundary and field side corner safeties linebackers um, and even their uh, edge uh, defenders at the point of attack Um there are some differences. Arizona has tended in the past to play uh, more of that 3-3-5, that stack, which was ASU's origins defensively that they then kind of moved away from. This year, Arizona has become a little bit more aggressive, uh, and they've had to do that because um, they don't have good pass rushers up front along the line of scrimmage, and so they're, they're manufacturing that by bringing a lot of uh, five and six man with linebackers and or safeties, some cornerback blitzes as well. Um, when you look ac- around their uh, lineup, you, you don't see any players that would be even in consideration for all conference. I mean, it, I, I would say that this is the greatest um, absence of talent that, of all the teams that ASU's played in the Pac-12 um, this year is the biggest talent gap uh, in the league. And so they've they've had some pretty serious recruiting miscues to get them to this uh, place. They do have they have had some injuries, but overall, man for man, when you look at their their team. There's just not a lot of positives to really point to. One of the few positives on that defense is a player who plays that bandit position that Laya Mokiola plays for ASU, and that's Demetrius Flanagan Fowles. And he's a playmaker. They'll send him on blitzes, much like ASU used to do with Mokiola last year. And he's really one of their leading tacklers, one of their best overall players on a defense that needs all the help it can get. Yeah, he's um, a 6'2", 6'3", long type of an athlete who's um, good against the run and the pass. He's their leading tackler. They they do use him in that boundary safety back end role, so he's got some coverage responsibility, but they'll bring him up. Um, their linebackers are okay. You know, we, we've we've um, you know seen those guys for a while now, and but uh, but up front, Kerry. They don't. They don't have much. They have a 247-pound nose tackle that they try to get creative with and use him on these aggressive slants. Try to get him into the backfield, um, but nobody on the team has more than three sacks. That's a sign of 
their inability to generate pressure, and and then there's probably about six to eight players who have between one sack and three sack, which is a sign of that. Um, they've they've needed their defensive backs to make far too many tackles, which is an, uh, always an indication of a team that's tended to be gashed. And um, so there's just not a lot of positives there to to, to really uh, refer to. I mean, this is a, a defense that is uh, second only to ASU in the number of yards allowed per pass. Um, and it's a run defense that has done a little bit better, but still giving up 4.8 yards per play, which is, um, you know, maybe ninth or 10th in the league. Uh, so, so there's nothing that they really can hang their hat on. They're not good against the run. They're not good against the pass. Let's look back last year at the ASU game. Uh, because ASU is an offense that's really struggled to run the football in, in recent weeks. And that's been a, a theme of the losing streak of five games. Last year, you look back, and, and Kalen Balaj and Demario Richard both went over 100 yards in that game. Um, ASU had 250 rushing yards on 48 attempts. It had dramatically more uh, runs than, than passes. Have we seen that from ASU at all? Um, in, in recent, the last month or so, uh, we have well, because they've been behind in every game and been forced to pass. Well, and part of that's because they haven't been able to run the ball whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this this is an opportunity for ASU to really have a reversal that enables a style shift uh, within this game if they're able to execute. When you look at this U of A defense, 42 points allowed against Oregon State, 49 against Colorado in Tucson, 69 allowed against Washington State in Pullman, 34 allowed against Stanford in Tucson, and then 48 allowed against USC in Tucson. And they haven't, and they didn't score well in in three or four of those games that you just mentioned. So it's just a total one-sided games there. Yeah, if you're looking back at U of A's schedule, the last time. The Wildcats scored four touchdowns. It was against Washington in a game that went to overtime in late September. They scored 28 points and a 35-28 loss, but since then, they have yet to score more than 24 points, and that came against Colorado in a blowout loss on Saturday, November 12th. Yeah, things have gotten worse, you know. I, you, you, you wonder if everyone is still bought in and trying and competing and focusing and studying film and the little things tend to get a little bit fuzzy around the edges when you're 0 and 8 in the Pac-12 and maybe they're able to bring that back this week to some degree and and get a little bit more of an edge uh, and have better prep uh, for the territorial cup I think I think we don't know that that's going to be the case but um, you know you would think for a rivalry game they'll be able to have better better uh overall approach and sometimes in rivalry games it comes down to trick plays or special teams or something like that where there's an indelible moment you think back to James Brooks's PAT blocks in that ASU win down in Tucson I believe that was 2011 it was a 30 to 29 victory for ASU the issue for U of A there's just no ability to do anything on special teams for this program they're near the end of the Pac-12 and just about Every category, kickoff returns, punt returns, kickoff coverage, punt coverage, kicking. I mean, this team really isn't going to catch anyone by surprise on special teams. And if they do, that's probably an indictment of ASU. Well, that's another edge that ASU has that's pretty pronounced. 
um, because usually there have been big. Uh, there was a Terry Richardson return one year. Uh, those indelible moments ultimately do end up determining what happens. And you look at Arizona, and this is a team that's last in the in the conference in turnover margin. They've generated fewer turnovers than uh, any team in the league. Um, they're bad on special teams. So they lack that that component that makes you think that they're going to be able to have that. So for ASU, that, that then comes down to not having self-inflicted wounds because if you don't turn the football over and you're ASU in this game and you're going up against bad special teams, bad defense, bad offense, you really should be able to... Uh, run the football decently or maybe even very well and uh, and it should be able to win this game. So the Territorial Cup doesn't have much of an impact around the rest of the Pac-12, but there are some games worth talking about this week, Chris, in our normal Pac-12 roundup segment. Definitely. And I first want to start with the South Division showdown between Utah and Colorado at Folsom Field. And if Colorado wins that game, it will not only win the Pac-12 South with a 10-2 and record, it will become the first team since the 2013 Sun Devil team to win the Pac-12 South with just one conference loss. Colorado would be 8-1 and with that lone loss, a four-point defeat against USC at the Coliseum. Just like everybody expected. Week three, we said it. <laughs> we, we did say that, that, that Colorado had a chance to win the league this year, win the South. Um, very well-coached football team. Playing at a high level, confidence is is a powerful thing, uh, and um, and Utah is a good football team. You know, U- Utah uh, just had a tough loss and out of the race for the Pac-12 South. But um, you know, uh, remember back at the beginning of the year, we took some flack for having Utah ahead of ASU in in my Pac-12 uh, media poll. I don't think anybody's really, you know, finding a, f- a f- flaw with that right now. But uh, Colorado has been probably still the surprise team in the league. I, even I didn't think before the season that Colorado would be anywhere near this good. I did think Colorado was better than Arizona, but I didn't think Colorado was better than UCLA, for example. UCLA has fallen on hard times, to be sure. And um, But I, I'm really excited for this game. I, I mean, I, I think I'm going with Colorado. I think Colorado is going to win this game. And I also think Colorado has got a good chance to beat Washington. Um, if Washington beats Washington state and is in the PAC 12 championship game. So how do you keep Colorado out of the playoff? If their one loss is going to be in conference play to a USC team on the road that will likely end up in the top 10 in the final poll and Michigan as their other loss. I, I don't see how you can do that if they're a two-loss Pac-12 champion with their two losses coming against top 10 opponents. Well, it'll probably ultimately come down to um, who else has two losses. You have you have, four, you have Michigan is one of three teams. Miss Michigan, Clemson, and who else has one loss? Um, Ohio have, State. Ohio State, they have one loss. Michigan, Ohio State, they're going to play. So you're going to have definitely at one, at least one two-loss team that's in the four. The challenge mentally is probably do you put Michigan, Ohio State, when they've lost to another top five team that, that late in the season? Uh, what about Louisville? What do, you, what do you do with Louisville? No, Louisville? you can't let Louisville in. What do you, what do, you do with uh, Oklahoma? 
if Oklahoma wins out. I, I just don't know how the Big Twelve is even relevant. I don't think it should be relevant. But <laughs> but 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 don't you think that there's a tendency to kind of give to, to Pac-12 forgive early season losses like Pac- Oklahoma had yeah, and the give Pac-12. the Pac-12 the short end of the stick because the, these teams will have lost later, have had two losses, and one will be out of conference and something yeah. like that. I I, I I agree with you. I I don't think you can keep Colorado out. Also, eight and one and and you know losing to good teams that's not that's a recipe for me for inclusion the thing that we've learned from this season i think once again is that 14 playoff isn't enough because there's no way that you can really know between the fourth, fifth, and sixth, seventh teams, who really is, who deserves to be in and who doesn't deserve to be in that's why mike leach wants a 64 team playoff well that's just dumb <laughs> He probably doesn't want that anymore now that he's winning a lot more football games. Yeah. Now, he, he probably wants a 24-team playoff because that would include his team, and that's it. The Pirate. <laughs> but I think this Utah-Colorado game comes down to whether Colorado can stop Joe Williams and the Utah rushing attack because if they do own the trenches, Colorado's a better team all around. Yes. It's got the best secondary in the Pac-12, and I'd say that even after watching ASU and Washington because – these Colorado defensive backs are coached up so well, and to play a quarterback like Troy Williams, I think that's a definite advantage Where's the for game Colorado. Where's the the game, game is at Folsom Field in Boulder. It'll be rocking. I'm picking Colorado to win by 13 points. Well, you've, you're having them cover that 12-point spread then. Yes. Uh, I think I'll take Colorado by three. Really? It's, it's hard for me to take Colorado by three because their field goal kicker isn't any good. So I don't know. 38-25. Wow. That's a big prediction. The other game worth talking about this week, Washington, Washington State. The Apple Cup in Pullman. It's going to be sold out and rocking there. The winner will represent the Pac-12 North in the Pac-12 championship game. Who you got? Struggling on this one. This This is a really tough one. This one's tougher for me. I I think one thing that is important to say here is – that Jake Browning is getting all of this Heisman talk, and he's not the best quarterback in their own state. <laughs> That's the best, true. The best Luke Falk is the best quarterback in that state. Yeah. I don't even think it's close, in my opinion. I think but Luke Falk is one of the best three quarterbacks in the country. He shouldn't. He should be a finalist for the Davy O'Brien and all these things. I mean, you got um, Baker Mayfield on that. It list. doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. Um. Man, I'm struggling. I, You know, I think I'm going to take Washington State. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Siding with the Pirate. I think I'm going to take Washington State to win <laughs> a, a, a good close game. I think um, 31-30. Wow. I'll go Washington. I have too much faith in Chris Peterson, not enough faith in Mike Leach. You're a Mike Leach guy. Uh, but you're also a Chris Peterson. I'm I'm also a huge Chris Peterson guy. I I I think Mike. I'm a Mike Leach guy because I like reading about how bizarre he is. I'm a Chris Peterson guy because I like the way he coaches football. Washington has a couple of injuries. Yeah, that ASU wasn't able to really explain because ASU's not nearly as good of a football team, but their pass rush capability and. Their inside linebacker, which I, I think I think Washington State is going to be able to take advantage of those to yeah, some degree. You're right. you're right, but that's a toss-up game. I yeah. think on the road in Pullman, who knows what the weather will be like? You know, turnovers, random things, and yeah. it's just it's kind of got a random element to that. But 
I'm very much looking forward to watching that game. Well, the Pac-12 North will be decided by the time ASU takes the field on Friday night in Tucson against the Wildcats for the Territorial Cup. Chris, any final thoughts before we head out? Um, I think ASU better win. (laughs) Otherwise, um, you're going to have... You're going to have a fan base that's as frustrated and, and angry as um, any time in the last five-plus years. So, ASU better win. Sun Devils, hoping to move to 6-6, six and six, become bowl eligible. We'll have an entire bowl breakdown for you on that Sun Devil Source premium report, which will be out later this week. A lot more on this U of A ASU Territorial Cup game in-depth perspective on that premium report as well. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For host, Chris, excuse me. I do this I'm every always time. the host. You're always the host. Why do you want to make me the host? You're, you're trying to take my job right in front of me. For publisher, Chris Cartman, I'm host, Carrie Crowley. Thank you so Are much. Are you sure? For tuning in. I'm sure this time. <laughs>